Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of March 8th, 2021. As spring training continues to trudge along, the Chicago White Sox finally won a spring training game. And nobody has gotten hurt, so things are going quite well down in Glendale as we are just three weeks away from opening day. We'll recap the past week down in Arizona, but this podcast episode will continue our 2021 position previews for the Chicago White Sox by taking a look at the bullpen. A unit in some ways overachieved last year thanks to the emergence of Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster making up for the loss of Aaron Bummer as Bummer was dealing with injuries that really limited how many games he appeared in. And Alex Colome, in his own way, closed out games when he had a lead. But this year's unit is going to look a little different with the addition of Liam Hendricks replacing Alex Colome. And now both Garrett Crochet and Michael Kopech are going to be in the bullpen to start the season. 97 plus mile per hour fastballs might be the new norm coming from the White Sox bullpen this season. Will the strategy of aiming for more strikeouts pay off? And is the bullpen the White Sox greatest strength? And is this the best bullpen in all of Major League Baseball? We'll try to answer those questions later in the show. Let's chat about the White Sox spring training efforts first and joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. it's jim margulis and jim the white Sox are off the schneid as they beat cleveland in the spring training action this week and uh, players are 
mostly healthy or getting healthier. In Yasmani Grandal's case, he's now taking his swings, and the White Sox are hopeful that he'll be appearing in game shortly. And, of course, Jose Bray with his COVID situation, uh, he is now appearing in games. But for the White Sox, so far so good in this spring training. Yeah, it depends on what you judge on. I mean, the record is ugly and uh, very unusual. You know, given the shortened spring training games, the higher likelihood for ties, and the White Sox are taking full advantage of that. Uh, uh, it's a shame there's no uh, equivalent of shootout in baseball to see how they'd fare there. But it, it seems like a, you know, like you said, the important thing is that they're you know mostly healthy in camp. I, I think, if anything, it seems a little lethargic just in terms of their output. Like, nobody's striking out a ton. Um, just, but nobody's really pulling the ball, hitting the ball that hard. There are some good performances, but not really lighting up the scoreboard. Part of it's, you know, base running when they do, uh, um, well, they, they ran to the triple play the one time. They also had a couple innings, uh, the plug pull on them by, uh, just flipping the innings and just being done with it, which is a rule that's new and unusual for spring training. So they've had some runs taken off the board just by, uh, the opponents quitting on them. So that also, I think, plays into a little bit and makes, uh, the, the decent numbers across the board not match up with the runs they're they're putting on the board. So yeah, it's a little bit unusual all the way around. And I think uh, you know Tony Russo was unhappy about the idea of ending innings early, and you can kind of see why because it does lend you know I I want to say like an illegitimacy to. I mean like you know spring training games aren't official, but it also makes it seem like a a, a glorified scrimmage in a way that does I guess sap some of the competition out of it. Does it matter if the White Sox have a poor record during spring training? I don't think it uh, does. No, no, it, it doesn't. Uh, I think health is the big thing. And then like, yeah, you, know, you mentioned, I'm looking at Yasmani Grandal. You know, he's been taking swings, but hasn't appeared in the game yet. And they're, uh, right now they're saying that they're just mainly taking it cautiously. And you sure hope so because the, uh, the guy, well, although I should say the, the, the backup catcher race is, you know, fairly competitive so far, like Jonathan Lucroy, has looked okay at the plate and Zach Collins has done all right. And he's picked off runner and Sebi Zavala has thrown a guy out. Your mean Mercedes has thrown a guy out and looked okay at the plate. So they've had decent performances there. Uh, and, and that that's a little bit fun to watch, um, you know, just making good use of Grandal's absence. But at the same time, uh, you definitely want to see Grandal in there just because so much is riding on him being there and being a big part of it. Um, yeah, I wrote about it a bit on, on, on Sunday morning, just talking about the backup catcher race. And it does seem like it's Lucroy's to lose just based on the amount of praise that's being heaped his way about how comfortable, uh, important pitchers are with him, namely Lucas Giolito and, and Lance Lynn, just liking what they're hearing from him. So that would seem to me to be the important thing when setting the backup race, but you know, it's open still. And, and we got a question from Andrew and PO Sox, but I think it's probably good to just mention up top, just asking what's going to happen to all of them with the late start in AAA. And it does seem like right now, but we have Grandal out. There's uh, an opportunity to just kind of take advantage of what's happening. You know, like say if they have a, an extra DH spot or if they somehow need two catchers, you know, I, I think it's worth staking their claim there. And taxi Squad's going to claim one of those guys just because of the, uh, you know, inability to, um, you know, the need to carry a third catcher and then, and no meaningful bats anywhere else. And, I think it's going to be kind of a game of musical chairs right now. And uh, probably the worst assignment is taxi squad because you're not being able to do anything to impress. And you're not really, uh, uh, I, I think that shows that your, um, 
you know, perhaps the most expendable in terms of development. So I think everybody's trying to stay off that spot. Um, but right now, I imagine Luke Roy is the backup. And, and right now it's uh, maybe, you know, Collins is going to be the DH or in line for bench at bats, uh, you know, if they want to manipulate Andrew Vaughn's service time. But, you know, right now I think uh, Case is Luke Roy, backup catcher, and then the others are just shuffling for uh, avoiding the worst assignment. Another week can provide a little bit more clarity on this particular question and topic. Next week, we're going to have our infield preview. We're going to be spending some time talking about these scenarios. White Sox, DH, who's going to be the 26th man, the backup catcher. I agree with you, Jim, that with Yasmani Grandal not being able to play, the silver lining here is that you're giving chances for this competition to mature giving guys more opportunities. They would get the opportunities, but they're not sharing any with Grandal. But as soon as Grandal is healthy and ready to be inserted into games, he needs to get ramped up. So Collins, Mercedes, I think especially those two, they would lose out opportunities when Grandal needs his at-bats and needs his in-game work before he feels ready to go to start an opening day. Uh, but it sounds like that's not in jeopardy, that we could still count on that Yasmani Grandal is going to be the opening day catcher for the Chicago White Sox in 2021. But it's an excellent question. We're going to we're going to watch it play out another week yeah. here and we'll take a deep dive next week and uh, next yeah, week's I, podcast. I think you know Andrew Vaughn looking good early is probably the most important thing to take away just because I think as the roster picture comes into focus, I think his ability to hang and and just uh how how valuable those early competitive at-bats will be for him with, with no AAA season. I, I think that's going to be the the main argument in the second half and whether they're going to try to figure out how to phrase a Schaumburg assignment or who they think would be a better use of those at-bats in Chicago. But it's going to be maybe a little bit of a mess, um, as we've seen before with uh, Nick Madrigal and uh, Eloy Jimenez before he signed the extension, just you know, uh, trying to phrase... Uh, arguments and assignments that way but you know midway jimbo asked a similar question i think it's going to take another week uh with nick magical hopefully getting healthy as well as as money grandal and getting those at bats i think we're going to see more about what's in store for the backup catchers and uh danny mendick and a few other guys in the fringe and looking at spring training stats for other white Sox players that i think uh either the player looks sharp or they're off to a good spring start lucas giolito looks sharp uh, he's made two starts. He went two innings, and then he just went three innings against Colorado uh, this past weekend. In five innings, Giolito has only allowed one hit, which was a home run, only walked one batter, and he struck out six. I I understand that he needs to continue to build up as far as uh, his workload, Jim. Maybe his next start, if he's feeling strong, he'll go four innings. And maybe in one of his last starts of the spring, he'll go five innings. But I feel like Lucas Giolito is ready to go uh, on opening day, and he looks really good right now, which is a, a very promising sign, especially with, as we talked about last week, there are pretty high expectations for Giolito, but both Jim and I think they are attainable, uh, which would be very exciting to see if he could raise his performance bar another level. Renato Lopez looked good in his two innings against Cleveland. Lucas Giolito had some... Really good things to say about Lopez, Jim, watching his bullpen that the he cleaned up as far as his arm action. And Giolito said that the curveball that Lopez had in Washington has returned. And 
I know we talked about starting pitchers last week, but I just want to have it on record. I'm rooting for Ronaldo Lopez to find a way to win the fifth starter spot. I know we didn't entertain that question last week's episode because I I do think that ultimately in the end, Carlos Rodon's going to be given that spot. But I'm hoping that Lopez can show enough to Tony La Russa and Ethan Katz in which they could say, you know what? Second thought, Lopez deserves this spot. We're going to give it to him. Yeah, I, I can see it both ways. I can see, you know, rooting for Lopez because he is a better bet to go 5-6 when he's fully functional like he was a couple of years ago. Um, some starts might not be pretty. Some starts, uh, you know, he might be getting by on, on contact luck, but he's ultimately capable of going five, six innings, 90, 100 pitches, whereas Rodon seems like it's going to be a fight just with his general efficiency battles and uh, struggles to, you know, sometimes losing the zone, that it's just more of a hard-fought four for him. But on the other hand, I would like to see maybe some creativity with that, you know, starting Rodon offers with him maybe only being able to go three you know, or, or four innings. Maybe they can do tandem piggyback stuff. So, I'm not opposed to either assignment just as long as, you know, really the only thing I want to avoid is having uh, another White Sox manager just trying to sell himself to the idea that Carlos Rodon should be going five. You know, if he goes five, great. If, if he somehow finds that shape after all these struggles, cool. But I think plan A should be if Rodon is starting to go one time through the order and then figure it out from there. Moving over to the offense, Luis Robert is 6'4", 11. That's great to see. Bottle up some of those hits for the regular season. Jim mentioned Andrew Vaughn. Vaughn's 3-4-11. Vaughn's got four walks and one strikeout. So he's already establishing that he has a good sense of the strike zone and also being patient and not swinging at bad pitches to try to impress, uh, which is nice to see because, again, this White Sox lineup, as we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks when we preview the hitters, on the podcast, they need somebody to take more walks. So Andrew Vaughn could be that possibility. And somebody that's taken his walks, a bit of a surprise, Lurie Garcia, four for 10. He's walked four times and he's yet to strike out. So good for Lurie. He's off to a strong start. And uh, depending on how Nick Magical's shoulder feels, uh, by the time we get closer to opening day, uh, we cannot completely rule out the idea that Lurie Garcia might have to be the opening day starting second baseman if Nick Madrigal is not ready to go. So it's good to see that Lurie Garcia is off to a strong spring start. But again, the games don't matter. It's just about getting the players into rhythm and whatever good performances that they have, great. Hopefully that gives them confidence. The bad performances, not too concerning. All we could just hope for is that the White Sox are healthy because if this is a healthy roster entering opening day and there are no lingering issues as far as injury-wise, this should be a really good team. So it's a matter of just making sure that everybody's healthy, ready to go. Because look at Houston, Jim. Man, they continue to get bad news, it seems like, every other day. They had to sign Jake Odorizzi out of necessity uh, because they're starting to lose starting pitchers now because of season-ending injuries. So, yeah, if you're worried good about... backup plan, though. It is a good backup plan. good backup plan. plan. Like, you make it sound like, yeah, yeah just like they, they lucked out with him still in the market. Uh, yeah, it, it's they're, they're kind of a mess. The, uh, the one thing you mentioned uh, about performances, the one thing that jumps out to me is just the strikeout column uh, for hitters. Uh, your mean Mercedes, 4 for 11, no strikeouts. 
Larry, Gar- Larry Garcia, no strikeouts. Uh, you mentioned four for 10, uh, 15 plate appearances, I believe. Tim Anderson, no strikeouts over uh, 15 plate appearances. Andrew Vaughn, one strikeout. Adam Engel, one strikeout. Zach Collins, one strikeout. Like all these guys you expect to have some big swing and miss in their games are all putting the bat on the ball so far. I mean, you know, and to, to varying degrees of success, but usually walks and strikeouts for both pitchers and hitters are, are one column I pay attention to just to understand timing and, and especially like on the fringes, like who's having competitive at bats. But, uh, you know, for the right now, just a lot of guys not striking out the way sometimes you see early in the spring. Yeah, strikeout to walk ratio for hitters and pitchers seems to carry over to the regular season because it's just a bad it's bad habits that are being developed or lack of command on pitcher on pitches for the pitchers and that command doesn't doesn't transfer over. Um, I, I'm with you. It is important to pay attention to the strikeout walk totals and so far it's been good news for the White Sox. So I I know the White Sox have only won one spring training game. But it doesn't matter. The format's weird. Managers can decide to end the inning whenever they want. Uh, like the bases are loaded and Jose Braves coming up. Uh, it's just it's just fun to see the White Sox play games right now and get ramped up. And everything looks pretty positive coming out of camp so far for the White Sox, which will only build more excitement as we get closer to opening day. So that's the spring training weekly recap, and we'll touch on what happens this upcoming week for the White Sox in spring training next week's episode. But on this episode, like we mentioned in the intro, the majority of the conversation is going to be about this 2021 Chicago White Sox bullpen. And when you look at the projection systems and all of the other analysis after the White Sox signed Liam Hendricks and Adam into the fold, and like we mentioned in the intro, this was a unit that was really good in 2020. And they overachieved because they had to use new guys to step up in big roles that they were not expected to, like Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster. Yeah, the bullpen ran out of gas heading into the last week of the season and going into the postseason just because they didn't have enough pitchers to get through a 60-game season. Uh, and obviously we saw what happened in Oakland, but what, what, what you did see in the first 50 games of the season to get them in a position to go into the postseason is really encouraging. And now that Aaron bummer is healthy and you have new flamethrowers being entered into the fold, like Garrett crochet and Michael Kopech. Uh, yeah, the excitement is through the roof when it comes to this white Sox bullpen. So when we start By breaking down and previewing the White Sox bullpen, we're going to begin at the end and we're going to be chatting about the closer, the new face to this White Sox bullpen, Liam Hendricks, a fellow Dr. Pepper. (laughs) I was wondering uh, if you saw that. I I did. (laughs) Liam Hendricks is skyrocketing on my personal favorite White Sox players leaderboard. And then somebody also did share a photo that Adam Engel is also a fellow Dr. Pepper diehard. And uh, that just that just warms up my heart. But, Jim, when it comes to Hendricks, we had a whole podcast episode about when the White Sox signed Hendricks. And I like to move the conversation away from was this still a good idea to invest the majority of your offseason budget on a closer? But the, the thinking, and we even touched on this in the podcast when he signed with the White Sox, replacing Alex Colome with Hendricks as the closer is a 
an aim and a goal to get more strikeouts from the bullpen, not rely on contact when it comes to high leverage situations, because you never know with batted ball luck, if it's against you uh, and you don't have luck on your side, you could lose games that way. Uh, the defense did improve last year, but that seems to be a flaky thing when it comes to the White Sox. Uh, you don't want to take it to chance. So the best way to avoid bad luck or bad bounces is to make sure the ball doesn't get into play. And the way to do that is sign and develop pitchers that could strike out a lot of hitters. Do you like this strategy that the White Sox are having with their team bullpen is really aiming for more strikeouts going to 2021? It's certainly, you know, not a complaint to aim for more strikeouts and, and get a really real strong swing and miss guy. I, I think with Hendricks and, you know, how to square it up against the White Sox success and, and um, you know, while paying due respect to Alex Colomay, who did his job very well, it wasn't always the most fun to watch him go about his job, but ultimately, you know, you can't really argue with the White Sox success in the ninth inning. They were 32-0 and last year, uh, I think 92-1, and yeah, 92-1 and uh, over... Colomay is time with the White Sox. I mean, that's basically doing his job as well as humanly possible, even if, you know, the start to start peripheral wise, um, you know, really not that great of a, uh, not, not, not really a showcase of uh, relief pitching ability is just more of somebody who got the job done with Hendricks though. I think it's a matter of, um, you know, if the White Sox are to improve, like, you know, one of the ways to do it is by showing up the bullpen, winning all the winnable games, trying to, uh, just cut down the number of, of games snatched from you. And I mean, that's how the Royals beat projections. That's how the Orioles beat projections uh, during the Buck Showalter days. Um, and, and so the White Sox, you know, they, they already had that. I mean, they, they'd be hard-pressed to do better with late-inning leads, and it only got them so far. So, you know, should they try to make the next strides with their other talent, you know, by uh, improving the starting rotation and improving the lineup? Like, okay, but now you don't want to lose those marginal games in the back half of the bullpen you know, in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. So do you ride with Colomay in the weaker contact, or do you try to, uh, you know, limit luck turning against you? And I think that's where the White Sox went. And so here comes Hendricks and the strikeout rate. And you not only offer strikeouts, but fewer walks. So you have your, your limiting luck on contact, you're limiting luck on sequences of base runners and, uh, you know, just a bad cluster of at-bats leading to a game loss. So I think that's what they're trying to do is just shore it up and, the way I looked at it when I when I made this point before the White Sox, or I guess when I made this point, when I just kind of addressed should they, shouldn't they going after Hendricks and spending that amount of money on him. One of the things that I noticed with the Athletics when he when Hendricks is there is that they were also undefeated in the ninth inning, but they're also undefeated in the eighth and the seventh. And I think Hendricks' ability to go multiple innings, to be a little bit flexible in that regard, uh, really just allows the swings and misses to also leave the ninth inning and also maybe uh, work their way into earlier innings. And so, you know, the the later inning leads, not just the ninth, but, you know, the last third of the games, that's where you might see some of that difference as well because the White Sox in the seventh were 27-3. and three, In the eighth, they were 30-2. and two. So, I mean, they, they weren't, you know, Colomay did his job, but I think uh, when you have like a, the kind of closer like Hendricks is, you uh, are able to steal some games even earlier. And again, back to the strikeout rate for Liam Hendricks last year, an incredible 40% strikeout rate and his walk rate was just 3.3%. I mean, that is a huge strikeout to walk difference. 
And like we have been doing for our starting pitchers, we'll touch on the same topics here. Where what we what uh everyone should be keeping an eye on going into the season, our concerns for these particular pitchers, and what would constitute as a successful season. So for Liam Hendricks, what should fans keep an eye on watching Hendricks now pitching in a White Sox uniform to gauge whether or not he's going to have an early success in 2021? <laughs> I was going to say the hot mic uh, when he's pitching. <laughs> with, with no fans in the stands, he could uh, he could really put on display and, and really make the, uh, uh, the, the, the sound mixer... <laughs> Who's working for NBC Sports Chicago really work in, in containing his language. So there's that. I think when it comes to his actual like pitching, I think, you know, just really, I would look at it just fastball velocity. You know, so much of his success, success the last couple of years is uh, built just on gaining a couple miles per hour and just riding the hell out of that four seam fastball up in the zone. You know, the, the slider is a good pitch. It's a good, you know, certainly keeps hitters honest and, and, just makes him think about it, but really it's just the fastball, fastball, fastball. And just when he's throwing that pitch uh, so much of the time and, and so reliant on it as he is, you know, you just want to see it be 96, 97, 98, he even touching triple digits as he did during the uh, postseason versus the 94 he used to be at. Yeah, that's a good point because he threw the fastball in 2020 70.8% of the time. Uh, so you're right on the money, Jim, that for hitters, they have to look fastball because when you look at their hitting splits against Hendricks's slider and the curveball that he throws very few times against his slider in 2020, opposing hitters hit 0.067. And in 2019, they hit 128 against the slider. They don't hit that pitch. So the only chance that they've got against Hendricks is the fastball, in which hitters last year hit 200 against Hendricks's fastball. In 2019, they hit 245. So you're right, Jim. I'm with you. We have to keep an eye on Hendricks's fastball when he makes his early appearances in 2021, because if hitters still cannot square up that pitch, if they still cannot put the fastball in play, we're going to see some really high strikeout totals from Hendricks to start this season. If opposing hitters are catching on to Hendricks and they are putting that fastball more in play and they are getting more hits, then it leads to the concern that I have. And it's not so much on Hendricks. It's just the bad luck that surrounds the Chicago White Sox when it comes to free agent signings. But I have to pose this question. Is the streak of bad luck from White Sox free agents over after the seasons that Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel had in 2020, Jim? I think when they spend the money, they do okay. It's when they don't spend the money that they don't, they do poorly. Like even David Robertson was fine. Like, I mean, he wasn't a, I wouldn't call him a fan favorite, but he was good, you know, good enough. Uh, he wasn't the reason why the White Sox didn't have a winning season. So when they spend the money for, you know, towards top of market for guys like, Grandal, like Robertson, like, you know, Hendricks now, like Keuchel, you know, I would say Keuchel was at the, maybe not top of market, that market. I would say he was like at the top of the second tier, but even then that was like money well spent. It was an aggressive way to solve a problem. I think Hendricks the same thing. So I think he'll be fine. Like he'll be good. You know, I, I don't think he's the, he's the guy you worry about. I think you worry about the, the Adam Eaton types where they never get any return from. Yeah, that's very true. We'll talk about Adam Eaton in a couple of weeks when we preview the outfielders on the podcast. So let's move to successful season. When it comes to projection models, 
they're all over the place when it comes to relievers because they're trying to project as far as uh, games that they'll appear in, how many innings that they will appear in. Liam Hendricks has already told Tony La Russa, and he's told the media that if he had it his way, he would appear in 81 games, Jim, in 2021. Uh, I think ultimately he will, if you count the postseason and the regular season. But I don't think he's going to show up in 50% of the regular season games for the Chicago White Sox uh, in 2021. Um, But, you know, with that being said, what do you think would constitute a successful debut in his first year with the White Sox for Liam Hendricks? I would say, you know, basically what he's been doing, like a a three-win above-replacement closer. You know, he was 3.8 his peak in Oakland. He was about on that pace, um, yeah, about three, you know, close to four wins on his pace last year. So I think three is, you know, and all the components that go into that, the strikeout rate, the walk rate, the the ERA, the run prevention, just that all mixes into that. Just that that's dominance. And I think really for the first year of the kind of contract he signed, that's really what you want to see. And I will notice that you skipped over my concern for Hendricks, which was... <laughs> Yeah, the last time that the White Sox signed a highly worked closer, or at least the last time they acquired a highly worked closer from Oakland, it was Billy Koch. So, yeah, I, I had a feeling you were to go in that direction, and I don't know if we want to bring up bad <laughs> memories for our listeners. I mean, a lot of them are getting our new pennants, and there are some names <laughs> on that list that they are remembering that we are bringing back into their memory that they may have either locked away deep into their brain waves or try to delete them completely. Uh, but I don't know if we want to bring back Billy Koch yeah. uh, as far yeah, as... Yeah, I, I really hope not because he's so... You know, Hendricks is so charming. Like, you really want the best for him just because you want him to be in... Like, you want him to be in everybody's good side. You want him to be able to talk and enjoy what he has to say without saying like, well, it's, it was a lot funnier before you blew three saves in four games, that kind of thing. Right. So just, uh, yeah, I really hope it's, yeah, you know, right now it's, uh, you know, and it's a lot of fun. Just the whole experience is a lot of fun. And I hope that stays the same way because, uh, you know, I think everybody here deserves it. Did you see his, uh, his photo shoot for the White Sox as far as him and the uh, batting gear? Yeah, with uh, Eloy Jimenez's gloves. He looks like Jack Parkman from Major League Two. Yeah, I, I think Alex Avila like, looked more like that than anybody else. Um, but it's like uh, Hendricks is second. He was going for that. Yeah, he just needs to do a little shimmy when he's up 0-2 on a hitter. That would, <laughs> that would be great. So not only does he drink Dr. Pepper, but he looks like Jack Parkman. And uh, the other thing, too, that Hendricks has been doing, and it's just been an awesome way to introduce yourself to a new fan base. He and his wife have been donating lunches to first responders all over the south side of Chicago in a, in, in a way of showing thanks for their hard work, especially this past year during the pandemic. And and it's just it's such a great gesture to make, especially being new uh, to a city, new to a fan base, new to an organization to already uh, contribute. And even even though it's just lunches, it it means a great Mm -hmm. deal for the first responders on the south side of Chicago. So it's already great to see that the new guy coming in is already wanting to be part of the community and help out in the community. So big thanks to both Liam and his wife for the contributions they have made uh, to the first responders on the south side. He's charming AF. Charming as F. Yes, exactly. So again, he's skyrocketing on my personal White Sox 
uh, player leaderboard as far as being fans. I mean, he can't do any wrong now. As long as he doesn't blow any games against the Minnesota Twins, it's going to be all gravy <laughs> for Liam Hendricks in my book. But we have more relievers to preview on this podcast. Coming up next, we're going to be looking at the setup guys as far as Aaron Bummer and Evan Marshall after a quick word from our sponsors. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible XFi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast as we continue our 2021 bullpen preview. So, we talked about Liam Hendricks. Let's talk about the guys that could help get the ball and bridge the gap from the starting pitchers. To Liam Hendricks, and that's Aaron Bummer and Evan Marshall. I want to start the conversation first, Jim, with Aaron Bummer. And I think you have to start the conversation with the concern. And the concern that I have going from 2020 to 2021 is obviously health with Aaron Bummer. He only appeared in nine games in 2020. He only pitched 9.1 innings for the entire season. And it does make me wonder, man, if you had healthy 2019 Aaron Bummer on the 2020 Chicago White Sox. I don't think it's far-fetched to say, Jim, they probably win the American League Central because they may have Mm -hmm. been able to escape Cleveland with a win or two, or they may have won that final series against the Chicago Cubs with Aaron Bummer in tow. I do believe that Aaron Bummer could have given the White Sox two more wins, and two more wins would have given them the American League Central And who knows how the postseason would have gone. But the fact that he's now back, he feels healthy, and he's getting back into rhythm. I just hope that continues to be the case for him going to 2021 because he is the left-handed reliever for the White Sox, at least this season, out of the bullpen. And I I believe the White Sox really need 55 to 60 innings out of Aaron Bummer if this unit is going to be the best in Major League Baseball. Yeah, anytime when it comes to you know biceps injuries, which uh, Bummer had last year, I automatically think shoulder. And fortunately, at least last year, that wasn't the case. Um, you know that it, it was more of a nerve issue, it was a strain, but then the strain turned into a nerve issue, and so like the forty-five day injured list stint that he had wasn't related to like a, a shoulder injury, at least you know so far. So I think that's just really what I'm hoping for is to see him fully back um, and and pitching regularly. I think. Watching him the last couple games of the regular season and then his postseason uh, two appearances against Oakland, the velocity was back, but the life wasn't quite there. The ground ball rate wasn't quite there. You know, he's giving up some line drives that he normally doesn't give up. And I think, you know, to mention the first thing I'm going to be looking at when it comes to Bummer, just yeah, the first month of the season, it will be that ground ball rate, just getting it back to where it was, which is like in the 60s, uh, sometimes 70% just beating that sinker in the ground. When he's, you know, like like he was last year, when I think he was going for velocity and power without the just feel he had, I, I think that makes it, uh, you know, the 
the ground ball rate drops to 50%. You know, he's really not as, you know, he's still good. He's still, you know, fine. He's just not special the way that Aaron Bummer with that sinker and strikeout rate that he has is special. So that's, I think, what I'm going to be looking for the first month is to see if the ground ball rate jumps up to two-thirds, which is where it usually is when he's fully functional. I'm looking at how, again, I think this also plays to health, but will he throw his cutter and slider more? In 2020, he threw that two-seam sinker 85% of the time. I know it's very few pitches that he threw. He threw the sinker 132 times. He threw the cutter 14 times. He just threw the slider nine times. And it makes me wonder, because in the 2019 season, the sinker usage was only 68%. So a pretty big increase going to 2020, Jim. Uh, and his cutter was used around 19% of the time. I, I'm I'm wondering if that was because of injury, that he w- really had to rely on his sinker. And that's what we'd be paid attention to at the beginning of this season, is that can Bummer go back to becoming being that three-pitch pitcher out of the bullpen, where he will throw the sinker, and that'll be his you know most popular pitch, but he could still sneak up a cutter on the inside corner to bust in right-handers and he could still have that slider waiting for the lefties and, and get them to swing and miss and, and get those critical strikeouts because it, it would be, I don't know if we get 2019 Aaron Bummer back if he is throwing the sinker 85% of the time, Jim. I think he needs to have a little bit more balance in his pitch mix. Yeah, it's hard to know just because the sample size is so small. I'm, I'm looking back at his first, uh, you know, basically let me remove the, game that he left because of injury but yeah he struck out 12 of 22 batters he faced over his first six games so like a strikeout rate over 50 percent and that was mainly you know with heavy sinker usage so I don't know like I don't know if he needs that slider or cutter or if he was just you know happens to get by with uh uh against a bunch of pitchers who weren't ready to see that kind of power sinker with the weird uh run up to the regular season that they had like maybe he just happened to benefit from uh Central Division opponents plus a weird preparation schedule that just got him off that incredible start. But that's what I'm curious about just watching him this year is, will that strikeout rate stay the way it was before he got hurt? Will the walk rates, um, you know, level off? Because, you know, he didn't really have a walk issue. But then when he came back, he started, you know, missing more out of the strike zone, uh, had uh, just a little bit more uh, inefficiency with his innings. So I don't really know what kind of pitcher he was last year because he was basically at the extremes uh, before and after the injury. So what do you think would constitute a successful 2021 season for Aaron Bummer? I would say basically his 2019 form, which I think is a high bar. It is a high bar. In one regard, just because... However, you know, just I, I mentioned with the strikeout rate jumping the way it did last year, and as you mentioned, that he does have the ability to go to a slider more if he's fully functional just seems like he does have a little bit more upside to give to where like you know you theoretically could expect more than what he gave the White Sox in 2019 so I think it feels like if he's part of it and then you know the White Sox signing him to the extension they signed him to I think they think that he is capable of doing that again so I'm going to say do that again I like to see him appear in 60 games because that tells me that he's been healthy for the majority of 2021. Will he go on the injured list for a couple of weeks if his shoulder or arm is barking on him? Yeah, you got to be prepared for that. 
for all the relievers for the White Sox coming into this 2021 season. But if the White Sox could get, you know, 60 games, 65 innings out of Aaron Bummer, that would be terrific for them because I'm again, you're just envisioning how this season could play out for the White Sox. And I think that's one of the best one, two punches that any team's going to have in major league baseball is Aaron Bummer in the eighth inning and then going to Liam Hendricks in the ninth inning, but it's coming at different arm angles and at different types of pitches coming at you. It's going to be really hard for opposing hitters to be prepared to face Bummer and Hendricks in the highest of leverage situations in ball games, in the eighth and ninth inning. And I think that that's what fuels the excitement. Uh, and you know, there's plenty to still be excited about in the sixth and seventh inning. Um, but if they could keep Aaron Bummer healthy, if Bummer could keep himself healthy, and the White Sox have both Hendricks and Bummer for the entire 2021 season uh, in the eighth and ninth inning, then that's gravy. Then, yeah, you got to be really excited as a White Sox fan. If Bummer can't stay healthy, the White Sox have options in the eighth inning, but it is a bit of a drop-off to be expected as far as performance-wise. You're going to go from someone that has an elite bar. I think Aaron Bummer can be an elite reliever gym, whereas everybody else, it's just going to be a bit of a drop off or their development is not quite Mm -hmm. there yet uh, to give you the same type of confidence. They can step in and provide an Aaron Bummer like performance. So again, for me, I think 60 games is a good benchmark for Aaron Bummer and 65 innings. If he can hit those two numbers, and I know it's very basic, I am a firm believer, like you mentioned, Jim, that he could continue to post the same numbers that he did in 2019 and even from his small sample size in 2020. Yeah, you mentioned that, uh, you know, he's, well, he and Garrett Crochet will be the lefties. And I think, you know, Bummer will be the high leverage lefty until Crochet gets acclimated to regular season work. You know, he got a little bit last year, but that was really highly unusual. So Bummer will be the main guy. But, uh, you know, Rick Renteria during that 2019 season used Bummer um, unusually. Like as Bummer gained Renteria's trust, you know, he was a a multiple inning guy at times. So he only, you know, he appeared in 58 games, but he threw 67 innings. Went from being a situational lefty to sometimes a one-man setup crew. You know, sometimes taking the seventh and eighth innings himself. And uh, it seemed like uh, he was on the verge sometimes of being overused, and then Renteria would dial it back and, and uh, basically kept him effective all the entire year long. And I think that was one of Renteria's better individual jobs is just grooming Aaron Bummer to be that kind of uh, force in the bullpen in front of Alex Colomay. So uh, you know, when with Tony Larissa taking over a different guy, I'm curious to see whether Bummer becomes more of a traditional left-handed reliever or a one-inning guy, You know whether there's more... Uh, help around him to be uh, less necessary for multiple innings. But yeah, Bummer has shown that before. I think maybe they'll they'll ease him into it to be one inning relief as he gets back into uh, a regular season and, you know, pitching two out of three days and, and you know, showing no health issues uh, carrying over from last year. But once he gets in the swing of things, I'm curious how Larissa is going to use him because I could see it going a few ways. Let's talk about maybe the seventh inning guy for the Chicago White Sox. If... Tony LaRussa does give out uh, individual innings. I don't expect him to. But Evan Marshall, the non-roster invitee that is continuing to pay dividends for the Chicago White Sox. And, you know, one of the things I'm going to be paying attention to for Marshall at the beginning of the season, Jim, his strikeout rate 
jumped big time in 2020. In, in 2019, Marshall had a 19.6% strikeout rate, which is, I think, would be expected with his arsenal. He doesn't have the velocity that Aaron Bummer or Liam Hendricks or Garrett Crochet or Michael Kopak have or Cody Hoyer as well. We could throw in the mix. He doesn't light up the, the radar gun that way, but he does have this... Did these different types of arm angles and as far as his change up and he's got ways to get you out. And last year, Jim, Evan Marshall struck out 32% of the batters he faced and continuing this theme of trying to strike out more hitters or having a bullpen really focus on trying to get as many strikeouts as possible and reduce the amount of balls in play. That's what I'm going to be paying attention to. Can Marshall continue to punch out batters at that high of rate like he did in 2020? Because if he can, Jim, then we're talking about your seventh inning, your eighth inning, and your ninth inning guys striking out batters at a 30-plus percentage rate, and that's terrific. He occupies an interesting role in the White Sox bullpen just because you have all these guys who throw... 96 to 100 around him. And then you have Marshall who throws basically 93 and avoids his fastball as much as possible. That's the thing I, I looked at his numbers and, and figured out uh, you know, just exactly how he went about his business last year. And he threw his fastball only 30, less than 30% of the time. Um, just going away from it, it's dipped from 66% in 2017 to 55% to 44% now to 29%. Like he just, instead of throwing fastballs, he threw curveballs. He threw his changeup at the same rate, which was uh, just shy of 40%. But he dialed up his curveballs uh, from, you know, basically doubling it from, you know, 16, 17% to 31, 32%. So, uh, and, and it worked beautifully for him. As you mentioned with his strikeout rate jumping is mainly because he just, the fastball isn't that impressive of a pitch, so he just threw it less. <laughs> he threw a, turns out that it is a curveball or slider, whatever you want to call it, because it, it different uh, um, different sites call it different things, but whatever you call it, it's pretty good. <laughs> I wonder if he was, you know, maybe we should have him back on the podcast to see if uh, he was as surprised by it as, you know, I was, and, and just just looking at his history, uh, he didn't seem to like it as much in previous years, so I'm curious... Uh, just exactly how that worked for him. But yeah, he's basically a, a three-pitch pitcher and his third pitch is his fastball, and that's fascinating. Yeah, and with his fastball, he lived up in the strike zone, the very top part of the strike zone. When you look at his heat map on Baseball Savant for Evan Marshall, and uh, as Jim mentioned, yeah, the fastball was his third most used pitch. He threw his changeup and curveball the most, and uh, we'll see if that continues to be the trend. I expect that to be the trend. But as far as concerns go, do you have any concerns for Evan Marshall heading to 2021, Jim? Yeah, just health. You know, he's um, doesn't have the most durable history, and part of it's because he got hit in that line drive, and you know that cost him some some time. It cost him some time directly due to the injury, and then cost him some time just in terms of getting back into the game mentally. But then he, you know, he has the tendency also to miss. Uh, a couple weeks here and there, and he did go on the injured list late in the year, and that also hurt the White Sox towards the end with their finish. So I think with uh, with Marshall, it's just about staying healthy and providing the innings, and you know, hopefully that increased curveball usage, that that uh, heavy breaking ball usage, unprecedented in his career, just doesn't uh, you know create some strain that his body's not used to handling. Any concerns when it comes to Evan Marshall that all of this good fortune will bust, that he will regress? Uh, you know, maybe he's somebody who 
you know, I'm thinking like just might be a little bit uh, fortunate based on, you know, should the central divisions, the AL Central and NL Central, you know, being limited to those opponents, uh, if they were really weaker than they looked, you know, like the way some divisions turn out to be really strong, the way they, the central teams kind of uh, crashed in the postseason. Just if it happened to be a weak streak of opponents, then maybe there's something to be said where, you know, maybe he'll just be more of an ordinary mid-leverage guy if he regresses. But, you know, there's a chance that he could be good. I mean, like, I'm, I'm thinking, like, uh, another guy who was similar to him uh, in previous years was Zach Putnam, who had a similar thing where he just uh, more or less rode his splitter. Like, he ditched his fastball or at least made that the more of a setup pitch and went heavy on a splitter and it worked and it was uh you know just basically like a opponents can figure it out they were um swinging over the top of it hitting the ground he got swings and misses and, and got more and more swings and misses but then ultimately his uh, elbow just couldn't hold up and and the innings dropped off and just wasn't there for robin ventura so i think that's really my concern with marshall is just you know it's kind of the same thing is uh you know going to the breaking ball that much going to uh you know, especially since uh, he doesn't have a history of using it that much, doesn't have a history of throwing that many innings in the major leagues, that many appearances, whether, you know, that's something he'll be able to do. And you know, that might be um, unrelated to the pitch mix, but just, you know, one way or another, I'm just hoping he'll be uh, able to handle the long haul. Like you talked about with Bummer, I think that's my bigger concern with Marshall. I don't have any concerns as far as any regression. But I, I think you you do bring up a good point, like we talked about with Aaron Bummer, is to keep an eye on Marshall's health. But, yeah, he does have a unique place in this bullpen. Everyone's going to be, you know, throwing 97-plus miles per hour. And here's this reliever that will enter the game in the seventh inning gym, and he doesn't want to throw his fastball. <laughs> so he just he wants to throw change-ups and curveballs at you and – He'll either strike you out or hoping that you beat it into the ground. And every team could use a reliever like Evan Marshall. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, too, is the ground ball rate's good. Mm-hmm. Like 54, 55%. So you, you, you have that with the strikeout rate. And that's a, an elite reliever without elite stuff. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, it's elite results without elite stuff. So hopefully that continues for Evan Marshall into 2021. Let's talk about last year's heroes, Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster. And if you listen to the podcast, if you listen to us last year, uh, going through the 2020 regular season, we gave a lot of praise to Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster. Jim, both Hoyer and Foster had to take on much larger roles that I think they were even preparing for for themselves with the Chicago White Sox in 2020. And I thought they were very successful. I am really high on Cody Hoyer. I think he's got the potential to be a high leverage reliever. And when it comes to Hoyer and Foster, I think the big question is for both of them, we'll combine them here. uh, Can they do it again? Can they Mm -hmm. duplicate the type of performance they provided to the White Sox in 2020 into 2021? Yeah, I guess, you know, they're two very different pitchers. They go about their business in very different ways. I think Hoyer seems like the better bet. I, I Foster, you know, you watch him pitch and you don't quite know how he does it. I mean, you know how he does it just you know, with high fastballs and then change-ups. Um, just really good at pumping that high fastball, commanding it at the top part of the zone and, and a bit higher and just 
because I guess he doesn't have uh, elite velocity. It's, you know, a decent fastball, but just the way he attacks with it, um, just hitters are tempted by it and works. But, you know, when you watched Rick Renteria use him, it was very much like in two inning appearances and, you know, uh, middle innings, maybe trying to be a bridge guy if it was a short start. You know, he vultured some wins that way. And when you watch, you know, that kind of usage, it's partially, you know, because they had so many good relievers when everybody's healthy that, you know, where else is Matt Foster going to pitch besides the fifth and sixth innings? But I also wonder if it was partially, you know, like Rick Renteria and Don Cooper wondering, like, is this going to work? I mean, when you watch Cody Hoyer pitch, you know, when he's throwing a sinker 98 and he has the slider that, that, that can serve as a wipeout pitch, I mean, you know how that works every, you know, you know, I shouldn't say every team has that guy, but like a lot of teams have that one slider monster and it looks like uh, Hoyer is close to that guy. And, and and if you think he can improve upon a rookie season, then it seems like he's, uh, like you said, he could be a closer material. He could be like a top setup guy. Foster, yeah, just it seems like uh, um, more smoke and mirrors, at least just uh, kind of a one really good trick. You know, it's a one trick pony. That That's a little bit of a too derogatory because some guys are one trick ponies like Mariano Rivera, the ultimate one trick pony. Uh, you know, that for a reliever is pitching one inning or two innings at a time, you know, that works. That can lead to very uh, lucrative careers, but it's just, when I try to evaluate them, it's, it's hard to evaluate them with one sentence because I think they, uh, one is the classic sustainable profile and the other one is, uh, huh, how'd you do that? Well, we just talked about a guy it's, we look at it like, huh, how do you do that with Evan Marshall? So I guess with Matt Foster, can Matt Foster, can the White Sox find a way to get the same type of success they had in 2020 with Matt Foster being more like Evan Marshall? Because you're right. The fastball velocity is very different between Hoyer and Foster. Hoyer's average average 98 miles per hour with his four seamer uh, last year, uh, where Foster is, you know, sitting around 94 miles per hour with his fastball. Yeah, it, it's it's case too where you know I mentioned the central divisions and say like, well, you know, if the guy's an underwhelming profile and was great, maybe what the offenses were not great. But um, I I think he's somebody who benefited from the White Sox not having, especially like when Bummer got hurt and Jace Fry was out. Uh, they didn't really have a whole lot of guys who were great at, uh, or they didn't have lefties, but they didn't really need lefties because their righties were actually better in some cases against lefties and Foster was better against uh, lefties with that changeup that he has. So I think uh, Rick Renteria used him pretty well. And I think uh, his profile, the way it was used, and I think if I'm Tony La Russa and Evan, uh, Ethan Katz, I'm looking at just Usage, the kind of hitters he faced, the, you know, look at the heat maps, uh, you know, to bring uh, you know, previous podcast guests to it, uh, look at the heat maps and just say, like, who does he match up against? You know, think more about him in terms of teams, lineups, usage, you know, types of hitters he succeeds facing because ultimately the way Renteria and Cooper deployed him, I think uh, he didn't really fail. I, I think yeah, it's a shame how his season ended with the uh, ugly appearance in uh, the wild card game, uh, being uncharacteristically wild, looking a little bit like nerves got to him because that really wasn't him. I mean, he just kind of attacked with this fastball, uh, didn't shy away from the zone and, and didn't shy away from challenging hitters. And by and large, you know, aside from an ugly outing here or there, maybe just a couple homers, like he didn't really pay for it. And as long as he hasn't really paid for it in a regular season game, I think you stick with that plan and, I think you try to carry that plan over year to year. 
So when it comes to Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster, what would be a successful season for both, or if you want to split it up individually in 2021 for Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster? Well, I think for Foster, it'd be more of the same. Um, just because you, know, you expect him to regress a little bit just with the fly ball rates that he has. You know, he only got grounders like 36% of the time. Like you expect more balls to leave the yard with him pitching, even if he does you know, not allow too many hard hit balls. You think it's going to catch up to him at some point. So I, if he had another season like he had last year, great. I think Hoyer is the one where it seems like he can go a couple different directions just because when you throw a 98 with sink and you get grounders the way he does, but then you also have a slider that can get swings and misses the way it does. Um, he can go, he can do more. And uh, maybe you don't want to, place too much on him this early maybe you want to allow him to regress and struggle a little bit but when you look at the you know, his pitch usage and the, the the power that he has he doesn't have to get too crafty he doesn't have to try to pitch backwards or anything but really he only used a slider when he was ahead in the count that was a wipeout pitch uh he threw it uh, about 20 you know in the low 20s percent of the time really the sinker did the heavy lifting to set it up but if he ever got to a position where he could use the slider earlier in the count as a setup pitch, as a, uh, a pitch he would go to three times in a row as a, as a way to get uh, from, you know, maybe from a 2-0 count, drop it in there and, and catch hitters off guard. If he could do that, I think that opens up a few more ways where he can be just more impressive, harder to figure out. Um, you know, as you mentioned before with uh, the White Sox wanting more strikeouts in the late innings, I think he can get more strikeouts, even though he was perfectly fine in that regard. In a rookie season, I think he can do more. And I think the slider is basically the key because he walked, uh, you know, you know, for rookie, he was fine with his control, but I think he, it, it, he has a little bit of improvement to, uh, ahead of him with control, with his walk rate. So if he could turn that slider into more of a, a pitch he can shape for strikes, I think that's a way he can be even more dangerous. So, uh, I, I think, um, you know, maybe he's an extension candidate, but he's also like a case where, uh, you know, his trade value could really be up there. No, I agree. You may even get teams when the White Sox call trying to make mid-season moves. Teams may be asking for Cody Hoyer because, hey, we need a closer, and Hoyer could definitely fill that role for years to come for other teams. Uh, I'm really high on Cody Hoyer, so I think uh, he's going to be a big part of the White Sox bullpen success in 2021 again knock on wood he remains healthy but there's a lot to be excited about and honestly when it comes to Aaron Bummer and Cody Hoyer and even what they got out of Matt Foster in 2020 these are development wins for the White Sox player development staff typically you would like your player development staff to churn out all-stars at shortstop or center field or catcher or elsewhere but hey they are getting development wins in uh, you know, large part of the bullpen right now with Aaron Bummer and Cody Hoyer and Matt Foster and you know the reclamation project and Evan Marshall. So thumbs up to the player development squad. And uh, that leads us to maybe the most interesting part of the Chicago White Sox bullpen in 2021 that gets everybody ultra excited. Team Cop Crotch. We're going to see Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet in the opening day bullpen gym for the 2021 Chicago White Sox. And there's a part of me that's really excited to see Kopech on the opening day roster. 
I'm also very nervous <laughs> to see what Michael Kopech could do in this new role. I've said it many times that I think Garrett Crochet could be the next Josh Hader in Major League Baseball, and we'll probably see that at some point in 2021, and then we're talking about Hoyer, Crochet, Bummer, Hendricks, and everyone's going to be talking about this White Sox bullpen and how opposing teams need to get the lead by the fifth inning or they're going to be in deep trouble against the White Sox. Uh, but when it comes to Michael Kopech starting 2021 in the bullpen, how are you feeling? I'm feeling okay because there's really nowhere else for him to go early in the season. You know, the alternate training site isn't going to provide him what he needs. Um, you know, maybe Charlotte, if it were starting on time, AAA could provide him what he needs. But if he wants to get back into the swing of things and if the White Sox want to manage innings while also introducing him to real competition, really the bullpen is the only way to go one inning at a time. So I'm fine with the plan. And, you know, I, I think Kopech, based on his quotes, what he's saying, just the mindset's there, just more of a matter of routine, um, figuring out how to do it, figuring out pitch mix, what he can um, what he can have, what he can throw away, what works for him in short stints, and then getting ready for the next one a couple days later. How often... Do you foresee Kopech being used in games, at least at the start of 2021? I think it depends on whether, you know, or I guess what kind of role Tony La Russa has in mind for him. I think if he's, you know, we've talked about it before with like, if he's a tandem option, a piggyback option with Carlos Rodon, say in the fifth spot, then, you know, he might only pitch one every three or four days if he's throwing two to three innings at a time. Uh, if he's throwing like more along lines of like a sixth inning after a shorter start to get to, uh, you know, Evan Marshall, Aaron Bummer, Liam Hendricks, then, you know, perhaps that's a case where, you know, he does throw maybe not back-to-back games. That might be aggressive when you have so many other guys who are accustomed to doing it, but, you know, two out of three on a semi-regular basis when, you know, situations demand it. So I think there's the most flexibility in how to use him and how to groom him. And I think Tony La Russa is keeping it uh open-ended as well, just because there may be uh, ways for him to get stretched out over the course of the season while in the bullpen, or, you know, there might be ways to rotate guys in and out of Charlotte, depending on, you know, where, uh, you know, who's healthy, who might need a rest, who uh, is reaching a certain innings limit or who's being overused. There might be some ways to cycle guys in and out using an option. Uh, There are a lot of ways to go. So I think early on, it's going to be pretty careful uh, inning or two at a time. If he does go two plus innings, he's going to have a lot of rest because they have so many other options. May as well use them. And then for Garrett Crochet, what would constitute a successful 2021 season for him? Because we saw him, you know, lightning in a bottle coming out of the bullpen for the White Sox in 2020. It was really out of necessity because they were just running out of arms. And he was electric when he did pitch and then obviously his season ended uh walking off the mound against Oakland and there was a lot of concern that oh my gosh is he gonna need Tommy John surgery this sucks for 2021 uh thankfully that was not the case but going into this season fans have really high expectations and want to continue to see more of what they saw in 2020 that little sample size Jim what do you think would be a successful 2021 campaign for Garrett Crochet I think successful would be finishing it fully healthy, intact. Maybe not fully healthy because no pitcher. I don't think it's fully healthy at the end of the season, but fully intact, ready to go for a next year just because 
Uh, you know, when you talk about Chris Sale and bringing him through the bullpen, you know, he did serve, you know, he thrived in that role. I uh, had a little bit of a stumble early in his first full year before he got to, you know, back on track and then ultimately a, a big weapon out of the bullpen. But uh, just he had the history at Florida Gulf Coast of pitching as a starter, racking up innings. Durability was there, um, really not questioned. I mean, you, you, you thought his elbow was going to explode with every pitch he threw, but uh, the, the, the track record was there that he could hold up. With Crochet, uh, he doesn't really have that track record just because he was used uh, you know, inconsistently at Tennessee, then lost his year to uh, the pandemic. And, so, you know, and then his year ended with the elbow injury and losing a couple ticks. And so... I'm not quite sure, you know, what his durability is, the way everybody had a sense of what Sale could do and how well he could hold up. So uh, when you look at a guy who is that young and, and has logged that few innings and, you know, it was mentioned when he was, you know, pitching in that final game in Oakland and he didn't feel good before the game, but he felt like he needed to go in. He'd be letting his team down by saying he couldn't uh, go to the mound. And, you know, that could have been, you know, that could have had disastrous results. Um you know, that, that's a case where, you know, a lot of these guys, when they're that young, they're uh, in that inexperience, they're still developing routines, still developing what their body can handle, what's, uh, you know, ordinary pain or ordinary wear and tear versus something that's going to get bad in a hurry. Like, there's just a lot that's uh, that he has to learn about himself over the course of a full season, and the White Sox have to help him learn. So, uh, you know, given that load uh, that that's ahead of him, I think just having Aaron Bummer there as the top lefty option, having Crochet there as luxury. Like if Crochet is that Josh Hader guy, great. But really, I just want to be one inning at a time right now uh, and get through the season fully healthy and intact and, and throwing high 90s to 100 and being that weapon uh, just because I really don't know, you know, he hasn't really shown the ability to do that. And uh, showing that over the course of a full season would be enough for me. I agree. So when we look at the White Sox bullpen, Projected bullpen going to 2021. Liam Hendricks, Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, Cody Hoyer, Matt Foster, Garrett Crochet, Michael Kopech. That's seven guys, Jim. The bullpen is going to be eight with a 26-man roster. So who's going to be that eighth guy to join the White Sox bullpen in 2021? I would have said Jace Fry prior to his injury, but Jace Fry is not going to be part of the White Sox bullpen uh, at the earliest May. So who do you think will be that eighth guy in the bullpen? Well, I would say Jimmy Cordero, but he's going to be suspended uh, for the first games. So he won't be around like he can't be rostered. So uh, that could cost him uh, a bit, but it could be, you know, depending on what they do with the back end of the rotation could be Reynaldo Lopez. If they want him around, if they want him as a tandem option, if uh, they think that he's better off pitching innings versus hanging out at the alternate sites, there being nothing from there, and they just want innings, uh, that could be the guy. I agree. I think that would be the best situation. I'm still rooting for him to win the starting pitching spot, the last one, the fifth spot, and then maybe Carlos Rodon is going to be your swing guy out of the bullpen. But you do bring up a good point that you want to see a little bit more creativity out of this fifth starter spot for the Chicago White Sox. Maybe you could have a tandem there with Carlos Rodon and Ronaldo Lopez pitching the same game. Or if somebody has a bad start or somebody's back barks up like Dallas Keuchel, you have Ronaldo Lopez that you can throw in for a couple of innings to, 
to get you into the the last third of the ball game, possibly. But I'm with you. I think that would be my pick right now for the eighth bullpen arm for opening day would be Ronaldo Lopez. With Jimmy Cordero, then, does he go to the taxi squad? Does he go to Schaumburg? Continue to still throw? Uh, I, You know, his future now with the White Sox is a little hazy, and they used him so much last year. He appeared in 30 of the 60 regular season games, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> for uh, no good reason, But I, really. I do wonder, though, Maybe Matt Foster is not in pen, borrowing a phrase from Tony LaRussa. Maybe Matt Foster's spot in the bullpen is in pencil. And maybe there is a competition here that, you know, the more I think about it, maybe there is a debate between Jimmy Cordero and Matt Foster. Maybe Foster is not a shoe-in to be on the opening day bullpen for the Chicago White Sox if they do want to carry Ronaldo Lopez. Uh, but as you mentioned, you know, Cordero can't be rostered. So maybe that wouldn't happen for the first series against Anaheim. But, you know, after that Angels series, maybe they could swap Cordero with Foster and then Cordero is part of the bullpen. Yeah, I, th- I think Cordero, you know, part, part of it's not his fault. He was just overused. And, uh, you know, he he took the ball when Renteria gave it to him. But, uh, you know, that's not his fault, but he also just, you know, diminishing returns towards the end of the season. So I think he has a little bit of proving to do, reestablishing to do. And if he does it in uh, Schaumburg or wherever the alternate training site is great, um, yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, they're going to need extra arms anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, and having him there as a backup is, you know, actually pretty good. Um, the other guy that you have to keep a lookout for is Jose Ruiz, just because he always surfaces and he's out of options. So we'll see what they do with him, but it'll be a conversation decision to make. And I imagine he won't make the cut, but theoretically, you know, if it's numbers thing and if Lopez is, has options and they like the way Ruiz is throwing and they don't, they don't think they need Lopez right away. They just might keep Ruiz for a little bit. Well, that sounds good. So that's, that's who we think could be part of the White Sox bullpen on opening day. So let's get to our show polls, which we posted on Twitter. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. All right, Jim. The first show poll asking our listeners. We're going to play over under 29 and a half saves for Liam Hendricks in 2021. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under? I'm taking the over. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it's over. That would be a career high, by the way, for Liam Hendricks. He's never saved 25 games in a season. Obviously, 2020 was the shortened season, and in 2019, he moved to the closer spot. But yeah, 89% of White Sox fans are saying over. I also got a lot of comments from the undercrowd saying that the White Sox are just going to have too many big leads in 2021. And Hendricks is not going to have, quote-unquote, that many save opportunities. I like where their thinking is going. But I, I think Hendricks has got a shot at 40 saves in 2021. Our second poll question, which of these relievers will pitch the most innings in 2021? Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, Cody Hoyer, or Matt Foster? This is a good question. I ended up thinking Hoyer. Oh, okay. All right, I went with Marshall, which is where the the most people went. He had 34.6% of the vote. Aaron Bummer had 33.2%, and I, I like that thinking as far as our listeners. I hope that, Aaron, again, Aaron Bummer is healthy and strong enough to pitch a lot of innings. But I could see Cody Hoyer. He had the least amount of votes, 11.5%. I'm not quite sure why. But 
I, I could see Cody Hoyer pitching the most innings out of those four. Yeah, just because, you know, my thinking is that he had the background as a starter in college and a pretty recent background, you know, given how young he is. Uh, and then also just, you know, he responded well to the workload that was thrust upon him over the second month of the regular season and into the postseason. So it seems like he's, you know, he has durability on his side, at least none of the concerns that uh, Bummer and, and Marshall presently have. And then you know, with Foster, as you mentioned, you know, he could be a candidate to be uh, rotated in and out of the bullpen. So he just, you know, I, I think Foster on one hand, he might have more long relief appearances than other guys, but at, at the same time, they might spread those out among more pitchers this time around. In our final show poll, who will have more strikeouts in 2021? Garrett Crochet or Michael Kopech? That's a good question. I think it's going to be Kopech. See, I'm going with Garrett Crochet. I can see it both ways. I think I ended up thinking that Kopech might be stretched out to cover more innings and thus get mm. more guys to strike out. Got it. Got it. So you're you're depending on workload going the Kopech route. Yeah, and if Crochet needs some breathers here and there, you know, if they do try to manage his workload and and try to um, you know, keep him fresh for the whole year, I could see him throwing fewer games than you might think just to keep him healthy. Got it. Well, our listeners sided with you, Jim. They went with Michael Kopech. Fifty-one point six percent of the votes went to Kopech between Kopech and Crochet, and who will have more strikeouts in 2021. I'm still going to go with Crochet. I think Crochet will have more strikeouts, and we'll see how it all plays out. But again, back to a question I posed at the intro, and after talking through the White Sox bullpen as far as the projected relievers heading to 2021 season, I think the key question that everyone is asking, is this the best bullpen unit in all of Major League Baseball? How do you feel about that statement, Jim, and with the White Sox? Do you feel like this unit can be the best in the league? I think so. Or, you know, definitely up there, definitely top three. I'd have to take an inventory of what everybody has um, just because relievers emerge so late. <laughs> or or good, one, good ones can uh, surface so suddenly that it feels like you need to, uh, like, research it the day before in order to really feel confident about what you're saying. But... Just based on the depth, based on the the mix of talent, um, and now you have the swing and miss introduced, uh, I think they have the potential. I think you just have to see it coalesce in the same bullpen, given that you know they're importing the biggest piece from the outside. I think it's worth you know giving it a month to see if the transition is clean. Well, it will be an exciting part of the Chicago White Sox in 2021, and I think it's a large part on why uh, you have so many analysts and writers and of course fans jumping on the bandwagon thinking that the Chicago White Sox this upcoming season can win the American League Central because if they can get the lead going into the sixth inning you really got to like your chances especially with the type of quality arms that Tony La Russa and new pitching coach Ethan Katz can utilize in the seventh eighth and ninth innings a really exciting opportunity here for the White Sox especially in late high leverage situations and Knock on wood, hopefully everything plays out as well as we think it will, talking through the White Sox bullpen. But that concludes as far as our 
White Sox bullpen position preview. Next week, we're going to be talking about the infielders and then wrap up the position previews with the Chicago White Sox outfield before making our Chicago White Sox and our 2021 season predictions uh, right before opening day. So that's what you have to look forward to in the upcoming podcast. But you guys had questions for us. So let's answer them next in P.O. Sox. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks. We submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Socks Machine and also helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at Patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And I have to mention that we did hit a milestone. We got to our 500th Patreon supporter, which is awesome. Thank you guys so much for your support. And the first question that we have out of our mailbag, uh, all of our questions this week come from our Patreon supporters. Uh, the first one comes from Michael. And Michael's asking, Jim, do you think we are going to see significant differences in how Tony La Russa would use the bullpen compared to Ricky Renteria? I don't think so necessarily, just because I think Renteria, by and large, maybe set aside one game in particular. I think he managed the bullpen rather well, at least on an individual level. Like with Aaron Bummer, we talked about how he you know, turned into a multi-inning guy as he gained uh, Renteria's trust. You know, Cody Hoyer, same thing, like he gained Renteria's trust, and, and I think Renteria did a good job of increasing the degree of difficulty without breaking him. Uh, Evan Marshall, kind of similar, just... It, you know, maybe it was a lack of options and forcing Renteria's hand in and turning to these guys who might not have been expected to carry such a load, but he did. He turned to them and he got good results out of them. I think really the one exception is Jimmy Cordero, just how often he went to Cordero in big situations. I think, you know, Cordero's success in stranding runners was a big part of that, but also I think that was just, you know, maybe results, uh, informing the process rather than the process informing the results and it, it, it's kind of wore off by the end of the season but I think uh, the the biggest difference will be probably the front end um, just how uh, Renteria or sorry how La Russa goes about figuring out like the fourth fifth and sixth innings from weaker starters I think there will be a bit of development with like Dylan Cease like you know maybe there are some games where Dylan C should be pulled earlier, but if it, in the interest of grooming him and getting him through some walls and, and having him learn from failures, he might be pushed. But when it comes to the fifth spot, when it comes to Carlos Rodon and Lopez and, and other guys where you just want to steal wins wherever you can, maybe that's a case where he does go one time through and then switches it up or you know never goes more than two times through, really pays attention to the times through the order penalty. Uh, that's, I think, where you'll see the biggest difference. And then maybe the other thing is at the very back end of the bullpen, like Liam Hendricks, you know, he wants to pitch every other game. But uh, Larusa has talked about load management, how he's talked about having so many big arms that he can afford to give Hendricks more days off and spread some saves around. And I'll be curious to see uh, just how aggressively he does that, how much he thinks about managing a bullpen with October in mind. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Chef Eric. 
And Chef Eric is asking Jim, the White Sox seem primed to be able to use an opener and or different strategies when it comes to pitching, especially with Kopech, Lopez, Rodon, and Crochet. It's been a while since Tony La Russa has managed, but do you think he would consider those options as far as using an opener or different types of strategies with the fifth starter spot? I think he would just because, you know, he's been oftentimes a step ahead of Major League Baseball trends. Uh, He was basically inventor of the modern bullpen, and then he was really big into situational matchups. And, you know, I'm looking at his 2011 uh, Cardinals team, and the one thing I think jumps out to me is that he's never managed with the three batter minimum. Like he was a big believer in like the loogie, uh, like having like Randy Choate and uh, Trevor Miller in his last year with the, uh, when LaRusso managed the Cardinals in 2011, he pitched in 39 games and threw 15 innings. Like that's just how <laughs> situationally was. Uh, so, you know, he can't do that anymore. Um, but I think I will use that as a way to say like, he's not afraid to make a bullpen ugly. Like he's not afraid to like manage, games in a aesthetically unpleasing way the way people complain about the uh the way the rays have messed up uh, the way the opener has messed up the uh the the flow of a major league baseball game i think (laughs) la russa is no stranger to making games longer or or more complicated uh, or more moving parts than are, are necessarily called for so i can see him applying that tendency to just win no matter what or have the advantage no matter what and translating it to three inning starts two inning starts a traditional opener however it shakes out and uh the other thing too is like you know in his last year he groomed lance lynn through the bullpen um uh basically paved his way he liked the way lynn was throwing and just increased the amount of responsibility uh, mainly through the bullpen, but then started getting multi-inning appearances later and, and played a part in the World Series and so forth. So it seems like he is open-minded when it comes to like the Michael Kopech plan, like bringing the guy in through the bullpen and then ramping it up as the season goes along. So I can see him using those early innings as a way to experiment, to uh, create unfavorable matchups, like to flip a lineup around so they're facing Rodon, they're planning for Rodon, and then Kopech comes in. I can see him finding ways to use that to his advantage. And, you know, if he's the way he was with this Cardinals team, he's not, he's never going to be accused of uh, underthinking something. So I can see him uh, turning those third, fourth, fifth innings in the uh, every fifth day into kind of a playground. Well, Chef Eric, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Alex Schmidt. And Alex is asking, are the White Sox a top organization? When it comes to finding or developing new bullpen arms, seems like Bummer, Marshall, Hoyer, Foster is a good recent run and something I mentioned a few minutes ago during our bullpen preview about this particular topic. But Jim, would you consider White Sox uh, a top organization developing new bullpen arms? Yeah, I think they're up there in terms of, especially in terms of like accumulating depth. I think, you know, maybe if you're, you would look for, one flaw or, 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 or maybe do some nitpicking that maybe, you know, they haven't developed that, you know, huge slider guy, like, you know, a point to Zach Birdie, like, you know, they drafted him in the first round to be that big fastball slider guy. Um, you know, he had the Tommy John surgery and the really slow rehab from that couldn't quite happen, you know, and he's still trying to make it happen, but you know, in his place, they've had guys who throw, you know, fastball changeups, get grounders, you know, power sinker guys, but just, you know, aside from Hoyer coming up last year, they didn't really have that classic fastball slider guy to 
creates really easy save situations the way other teams have. So I think that's maybe the one thing I would say keeping them from being top of the list, but certainly it's been an asset for them. And I think they've done it a few different ways. Like, you know, they've, as you mentioned, um, you know, with the second day, third day picks like Foster and Bummer and Hoyer, and then, you know, having the reclamation projects like, like Marshall. And I mentioned Zach Putnam too. And I think that's, you know, Don Cooper is no longer around, but I think that's one thing you can say to him is that, you know, maybe he struggled a little bit with pitch design and some other things uh, later in, you know, maybe the last few years of his White Sox career. But I think one of his strong suits as the game evolved was having pitchers go to their best pitch no matter what it was. Like I remember Jesse Crane being a guy who did that. That kind of bled over to other ones. Putnam was really the, the biggest example of that. But now you have uh, Marshall doing it, and that's been a welcome development. So, you know, being able to reclaim guys like that and, 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 either teach him a curveball or change or, uh, or slider or change up or just emphasize the change up or curveball and say like, throw that pitch the most often it's your best pitch. You're only throwing one inning. Who cares? Um, and, and now we'll see what comes to Hendricks. I mean, the White Sox haven't been afraid to invest in the bullpen, whether it's Hendricks, you know, Robertson before him or with guys like Crochet and, and Birdie in the first round. Kopech right now being a first round pick in the bullpen, another way they've invested in that in a roundabout way. But They've really put a lot of resources into it at the top end, and then they've been able to supplement it with depth. So yeah, they've they've really paid attention to it, and uh, maybe having the Royals in the division being a direct, um, well, really being a thorn in their side, but also being a direct example of how far that goes. Maybe that that's what inspires them to really try to attack this particular unit with basically all the resources and thought processes, processes, I should say. Even with the draft strategy, though. And I, I think that they could continue with this type of draft strategy, especially for this upcoming year. Uh, the draft's not until July, but if the White Sox really front load as far as their draft in the first three rounds, where they're spending a couple of million of dollars uh, drafting and signing three players, a uh, combination of the best college player available and then some prep players, which they've gone heavy on the prep starting pitching side. In order for that draft strategy to work, you got to find guys who are willing to sign, let's say, $150,000 bonuses uh, or less. And what you can do is find college relievers. And I think it is worthwhile for the White Sox to continue this type of strategy and continue to invest as far as mid-round draft picks on college relievers, a, a group of – it's a position group that's often overlooked – but if you can find these guys that are already throwing 96, 97 miles per hour, even if they don't have the best command gym, if you believe that you can coach up and develop better command out of these type of reliever arms, I think it's worthwhile for the White Sox to continue to stockpile their farm system with these types of guys because you never know if a bullpen pitcher just suddenly loses their stuff and they're not effective anymore or they need Tommy John. You still got some guys in tow because you mentioned Zach Birdie. Uh, there's Tyler Johnson still waiting in the wings for the White Sox. Uh, I'm sure there'll be somebody else that really surprises <laughs> us. That's a, a reliever that's all of a sudden like Cody Hoyer throwing 98, and everyone's asking themselves, where did this guy come from? Uh, so I think it's worthwhile for the White Sox to continue to keep feeding these types of college relievers into their farm system because you never know if it does click like we have seen with Aaron Bummer and Cody Hoyer, you could have a very good to elite reliever on the cheap. And for a team that has to be 
I don't know that I don't want to get into a budget conversation, but a team that limits their spending. If you can get that type of performance on a very low cost, then you could spend money elsewhere. And I think it's worthwhile for the White Sox <laughs> to continue to feed their system uh, with these types of college relievers. Yeah, I, I think you can make that argument. They could have done that this year. And I know, so. I know, but <laughs> just, uh, I don't know. Did you see the, the Cranes article with Danny Ecker? Yeah, we're gonna have to. to I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get Danny, maybe on a special podcast that he can uh, talk us through on on what exactly Jerry Reinsdorf's kids are attempting to do, buying up minority minority shares. But yeah, again, though. But back to Alex's question. I think the White Sox are a very good organization. Are they the top organization? I don't know. How do you feel about the White Sox developing efforts and bullpen arms compared to the Milwaukee Brewers? Because the yeah, Brewers, they were a team I thought about. Yeah, Josh Hader, uh, Devin Williams, uh, and his unbelievable changeup. Yeah, Yankees are pretty good at. I mean, the Yankees spend, but they also develop guys too. Right. I mean, that's where David Robertson came from. Yep. Yeah, those are so, the, and that, that's what I mean. Like the 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 you know the the, the swing and miss guys. Um, mm-hmm. I think other teams might have a uh, better position in claiming that they develop like the true monsters, but I think the White Sox are good at like developing quantity. And hopefully that continues because again, that, that helps You don't want to continue to keep spending 10, $15 million on a bunch of bullpen arms. We saw the Colorado Rockies try that strategy and I thought it would work out well for them. It did not work out well for them. Uh, and it kind of blew up in their face with the, if you remember Wade Davis and Jake McGee and Brian Shaw, and they, they invested a lot of money into that bullpen and it didn't work out. So I, I think the White Sox are trying this combination where they make a big investment, bring in somebody like Liam Hendricks, because they do have guys more on the cheap side and they are developing uh, impressive relieving reliever arms in their farm system. It's just a matter of maintaining that strategy and continuing to feed the system. And there should be, and I'm seeing this right now, watching a lot, a lot of college baseball, you're seeing more and more guys in college baseball throwing 95 plus miles per hour. So the college programs are doing a very good job with their pitching labs, getting these pitchers to make huge velocity jumps. I think we're going to see fewer start. I'm, my confidence in the amount of starting pitchers from the college class is starting to diminish uh, the more that I watch, but there is opportunities to get more elite relievers in this upcoming draft class. And hopefully the white Sox capitalize, identify and capitalize on that, on those opportunities and continue to feed their farm system with these college relievers. Cause it can have a pretty big payoff and, Hopefully we do get a chance to see Zach Birdie uh, get an opportunity to live up to his potential and maybe even new faces like Tyler Johnson during the season. But Alex, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week to PO Sox. Again, if you have a question or topic that you would like Jim and I to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. And you can also help support us at patreon.com slash socks machine. As I mentioned prior to starting answering questions in PO Socks, 
We did hit a milestone, Jim. We got 500 supporters now on patreon.com slash socks machine, which is terrific. If you are listening to this now and you don't support us on Patreon, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash socks machine. And what you get out of that is an ad-free version of the podcast, exclusive content like the weekly MLB draft reports that I'm doing right now, tracking as far as college and prep prospects for the upcoming July Major League Baseball draft. You get an opportunity to ask additional P.O. Sox questions, in which Jim and I record that. And it's a bonus P.O. Sox segment for our Patreon supporters. And our Patreon supporters, when we do have guests, get the opportunity to submit questions for our guests to answer as well. And lastly, an opportunity to get our new swag first uh, and an opportunity to get it at a discount. And do you have a swag update, Jim? Because we had new hoodies. I'm wearing the hoodie right now. It's very soft. I love the hoodie. Thank you so much. Uh, and I think we're out of hoodies. Yes. In between podcasts, we launched the hoodie and sold out of the hoodie. Uh, that's one of the benefits of you know being on our uh, Patreon is getting early access. And more than half of them were sold before they actually went public. Uh, but yeah, we are doing a back order now. So basically, if you're interested in the hoodie, um, go to our store, place an order for your size, and then I'll make sure to include it. You know, your spot will be reserved when I put in a second order. And, you know, if, if I do, the, like, I'll keep the pre-order or back order window open for like a week, and then I'll place a second order. So get them in sooner rather than later. So you make sure you have your size. I'll order a few extras for each. But uh, you're probably looking for hoodies probably being in my possession probably close to opening day, and then I'll mail them out shortly after. So there's that. So we have the, uh, uh, I wrote out the rebuild, uh, or actually rebuilds uh, pennants that's in our swag pack, and that's new and got a bunch of orders in that for ready, and, and you can either order it directly or you can support us at the $5 tier, and it'll be included in your swag pack. And uh, excited, um, I'm excited to offer them. I'm excited to see the excitement of people seeing it. So that's great. And yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy that we hit the 500 mark. We're at 501 now, in fact. So thank you. Yes. For not, yeah. Thank you for not Woo. stopping now, boys and girls. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and just helps us do more. And especially with uh, minor league season, hopefully, you know, uh, returning some points over the course of the year that I'll be able to, you know, make road trips. You know, Birmingham's only two and a half hours away. I uh, can drive the Carolinas to, uh, you know, check out some teams and, and just do more in-person stuff there. And that'll help with that. So uh, now with that, we have more games and more affiliates in action. We'll be able to do more. And so I'm excited to see what we can do with these resources in this time. Yes. So I hope that is a good reason for you while you're listening to this. If you don't support us now to go to patreon.com slash socks machine and sign up today. If you don't want to go that route, we still have other swag that you can buy. You can buy it on the SoxMachine.com in our shop. We've got Sox Machine t-shirts. We have some few left here. I'm moving. Uh, We're closing on our new house uh, this upcoming week. We are very excited. I do not want to move these t-shirts with me. So if you could buy a Sox Machine t-shirt, that would be great. It's just $20 and the $20 does include shipping. We'll get that out to you. Uh, and then once I move, we'll reorder socks machine shirts. We'll have all sizes again. Uh, but right now, as I'm ready to get to move to our new house at the end of the month, uh, I'd like everyone to buy a socks machine shirt so I don't have to move these. And these are just $20. You could buy them at the socks machine store. 
So that's it for as far as the marketing stuff for the website. I do want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to this Sox Machine podcast as we preview the 2021 Chicago White Sox bullpen. Again, next week, we will be previewing the Chicago White Sox infield. There's a lot of interesting conversation about the White Sox infielders, especially on who could win the backup catcher spot and who will be the opening day opening day DH for the Chicago White Sox in 2021. So we'll have that conversation next week. But that will do it for this Sox Machine podcast. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.